like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and folks, on today's show, we are talking about the essentials of strategy. Ron, it's just a duo today. It is. We've had three doctors in a row, so I'm, I have no <laughs> idea what to do myself. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have high enough credentials for this. No, that's true. That's true. Was it three doctors in a row? Really? Dr. Josephine. Uh-huh. And then the two. Oh, right. The ER right, doc right. and yeah. the anesthesiologist. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> what do we know? But anyway, well, we're here to talk about something that I think is near and dear to both our hearts. And that's this notion of business strategy. Nebulous. We've, t- we've talked about strategy before in some previous shows. We've also had Dr. Jules Goddard on, who is, I think, one of the great strategic thinking minds. In fact, I think we're going to hear a little bit of the echo of Dr. Jules Goddard's work in the stuff that we do today. You know, he was very big into uh, explaining the difference between budgeting and strategy. And right. I think that's that has an echo in our conversation today. But but set, set this up for us, because you were the one who suggested this topic. There was an, a book that you read that you wanted to talk a little bit about. And then there's an article you want to get into, get into as well. Right. And, and just to delineate, we're not talking about strategic planning here. We're talking mm-hmm. about strategy for your business. Uh, so uh, I read a, a transcript of a podcast with Richard Remelt who uh, wrote Good Good Strategy, Bad Strategy several years ago. Brent Yukin from EY turned me on to that book at the time. I read that book. It was good. And and I do compare everything to Jules Goddard and, of course, Mm -hmm. our colleague Tim Williams, too, who I think is also a great strategic thinker. Um, And then this podcast they did, uh, McKinsey did with him about his new book called The Crux, How Leaders Become Strategists, just came out last year, 2022. Um, it, it, the, it was impressive enough to make me go buy the book and want to read it. And I did. And I thought there's enough here to have a show on. This has got some worthwhile things. So one of the things he points out at is that for many businesses, strategic planning has been a huge disappointment. Like 97% agree that it's been a complete waste of time because what they're actually trying to attempt to do is predict and control financial outcomes. And he says, you know, put simply, they are a form of budgeting, which is so true. Every strategic plan I see always, we grow by 10%, whatever, you know, it's, there's metrics, there's financial metrics in there. That's not strategy. Um, and why he called the books the crux is, first off, he's a rock climber. And rock climbers call certain boulders problems. And the toughest part of those problems, the crux. And he uses that to devise this three-part strategic skill set that he lays out. One is having judgment about what is important and what is secondary, because he talks a lot about priorities and priority means superiority and rank, (laughs) right? So you can't, you know, to have eight priorities is just ridiculous, right? You can only have one, 
or two maybe at most. And then the second is that judgment is about the difficulties of dealing with these issues and then being able to focus, being able to focus. And he talks about, you know, the difference between a good strategy and, and, and it requires good execution. He doesn't, he's not, but he also doesn't believe that it's just all about execution. He, I think he, he agrees with us that we'll try and execute a crappy strategy and it'll bomb, right? No matter how flawless the execution is, if the strategy sucks, it's not going to go anywhere. And I love the example he gave about to, to describe the crux. He said SpaceX's challenge was why did it cost so much to, to put payloads into orbit? The crux of the challenge was reentry. And Musk's great insight was that fuel is cheaper than rockets. And if we could have the rockets reland and return to Earth and reuse them, we could solve this problem. And that was the crux. And that's what they put all their focus on, all their engineering talent. Everything was built around the crux of that problem. He, he also points out that strategy is not about decision-making. He says it's not about a selection of different alternatives. He says, because where do those alternatives come from that you're selecting from, right? Um, or it's not about finding your one true goal nor setting your mission or financial targets. He says, you don't start with goals. You start with the crux of the challenge. He said, good strategic goals are the outcome of the strategy, not its input. Um, now, I had issues when I first started reading this book, but he frames everything around challenges. And I was taught by Peter Drucker that you don't solve problems, you pursue opportunity. Because if all you do is solve problems, you just revert back to the status quo. But I think in the context of how he's using the word challenge, I'm okay with it. He doesn't necessarily like the word problem because he says problem implies that it's got a solution. He said, these challenges don't necessarily, or they have multiple solutions, right? Um, so I kind of like how he laid that out. I, I, you know, the metaphor of the crux, you know, I'm not a rock climber. I can't relate to it, but I understand it intellectually. And I, and I liked how he said that to be a strategist, you will need to embrace the full complex and confusing force of the challenges and opportunities you face the place where a commitment, to, a commitment to action will have the best chance of surmounting the most critical obstacles. That's a pretty good definition of what, now it frames it in terms of challenges rather than say opportunities, but I still think it's useful. It is, I, I, and I believe a couple comments on this is one, when I, when I do my strategic planning well, it's not really a strategic planning. It's really is more about strategy than it is about strategic planning. And I think that that, that is always confusing for the people walking into the session who are thinking that they're going to walk out with a plan. plan. And yep. like, no, this is about understanding strategy. But I, I played this video, and I think we talked about this when we've talked about strategy previously. It's a great video. I saw it as a TED Talk. This, uh, this guy's name is Dan Meyer, and he is a math teacher in New Jersey. And he, he has, has this real great insight where he, he talks about the problems uh, with teaching math today. And that is that the, the problems uh, that they, they, they put in the textbook are always, the, especially the word problems, they always have three pieces of information and you just have to figure out which formula do they fit into. Right. And one of the things that he notices about the, the, with the students 
is they, they have an aversion to these word problems. And even when they are averted from it, they, they just have they just want to apply the formula. But this is a quote from from his session that I think equally applies not only to the math textbooks, but also to strategy and business. And he says, what problem have you ever worked on where you know all of the given information in advance or you didn't have a surplus of information and, and had to figure and, and had to filter it out or insufficient information and had to find some more? No problem worth solving is like that. <laughs> And I think he, of course, he's using the word problem, but you're right. It's if in the context of business, it's, it's a challenge, but I got to tell you that the people that I have worked with from a strategic perspective, they are looking for the formula to apply. That's what they're looking for. Plug X, Y, and Z See? in here, and throw this into my spreadsheet, and then this will kick out what, <laughs> what we need to do. And yep. I'm just like, no, it doesn't work. If, if you are starting your, your strategy with a spreadsheet, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, he does break down challenges into three types. There's, there's choice types where you do have different choices. There's mm -hmm. engineering types where you have to like the board, you know, like Elon Musk's boring company, you know, to be able to do that would require so many easements right through people's property going from one side of the coast to the other, that it's probably not even feasible just from mm -hmm. a legal challenge standpoint and then he's the third one is gnarly where there are no given alternatives no guarantee of a solution of any kind kind of like russ roberts wild problems mm -hmm. right where you just there is no there is no uh cost plus benefit cost you know um cost benefit analysis the other thing i really liked is he, he quotes gary hamill and gary hamill said of course everyone knows a strategy a good strategy once they see one <laughs> right after he said processes and i love this line this this is so gary hamill process does doesn't produce strategy it produces plans that that's a powerful statement mm -hmm. it's not about plans and rummel comments that the dirty little secret of strategy consultants is there's no theory of strategy creation he thinks the best we can do is you diagnose the, what the challenges are, and then you create a response. And he said, that's the best the theory that we have for strategy creation. He said, you don't pick a strategy, you create it. And he, he cites the example of Salesforce. He said, Salesforce's SaaS model, which was a huge strategy, he says, they were designs. They weren't choices. That's another powerful concept. You design a strategy. You don't. You don't choose. It's designed. Yes, I think that that's important, and that it, the fo the focus isn't on the 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 roll ups of the numbers. But this this gets back to another thing that we've we've talked about. I I, I know, and what I like to call the Moask, right? Mm. The, the 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 problem is is that the the, the Moask is, is short for Mother of All Strategic Questions. And the, the biggest challenge that I find with stuff like balance scorecard, for example, uh, and even some of the other stuff, scenario planning, anything that I've studied is in, in, in not so many words, I'm going to, yes, this is an oversimplification, but it's the first question that has to be answered is what is the revenue target for the given strat strategic planning time that, that <laughs> you, like you said, multiply it by 10%, put it in the spreadsheet, you know, ro roll it all the way up. What are the, what are these things that you need to do? And what I've encouraged those that I've worked with is to start with a different question. And that is, 
what is the what is the value what is the amount of value that you're going to create for your customers and even prospective companies five years from now and how are you going to do that so how are you going to create value outside the organization because as you and I believe I think that the input that what the rev- revenue is a function of value creation whether whether you're using a subscription model or not revenue is still a function of the, the of the creation of value that you create outside the organization so if you're really looking for the input into your strategy don't look at at start start with revenue you're starting in the middle of you're starting in the middle that's the middle you have to start at the beginning which is the cause of re- what is the cause of that revenue which of course is the focus on the customer and future aspects of customers. Yeah, no, great point. <clears throat> you know, he kind of defines gnarly problems much the same way Russ does in his book, Wild Problems. He says they have no clear definition of the problem itself. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, you don't have a single goal, but a bundle of ambitions. Mm-hmm. Alternatives must be searched for or imagined. And the connections between potential actions and actual outcomes are very unclear. And, and he cites the example, and I thought this was a good example. Singapore's problem in 1960 was massive unemployment. And if you're Lee Kuan Yew, you know, the leader of Singapore at the time, what's the crux of that challenge? Why the massive unemployment? And he said he came to the conclusion that Singapore was a lousy place to do business. So he made it more business friendly, lower taxes, attracting foreign investment, you know, all those things that, you know, we free marketers uh, believe in. And, um, that, w- and that it, obviously Singapore is incredibly successful. So there was something to that strategy, but that to him, that was the crux. It was just a lousy place to do business. And yeah, that's what absolutely. he worked on. Absolutely. Well, Ron, we are up against our first break. Want to remind folks that they can contact Ron or me by sending an email to ask TSOE at verisage.com. Of course, the website is the soul of enterprise where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows and all of our previous shows that are out there. We'd like to remind you that you need to rate this podcast by going to, guess what, ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for us at keyword voice America. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program, This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. 
We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are talking about the essentials of strategy here on The Soul of Enterprise. But Ron, you know, here we often talk about the future and innovation and with our new sponsor, Woe No Low, which stands for Work Now Locally. The future of work is here. No more resumes, no more interviews. That's right, Ed. Well, Nolo is an innovative online staffing platform that connects available workers with companies in different industries that need jobs filled in the near future. Whether you're a worker looking for short-term jobs to make some extra money or to build your skills in a different industry, or you're a company looking for experienced local workers to help out, you need to check them out. Winolo isn't a staffing agency. There are marketplaces for the future of work. More than 1 million people across the U.S. use Winolo to find their short-term jobs based on their interests, skills, and availability. Thousands of companies have trusted Winolo, such as Papa John's Pizza, Peloton, and Edible Arrangements. Download the Winolo app from the App Store or Google Play Store to tap into the future of work or check them out on the web at wonolo.com slash soul today. Well, Ron, before we jump into talking more about strategy in this great article or book that you came across, I want to talk about something something else. And I, th I think we've actually addressed this in one of our bonus episodes. So we're opening up uh, the, the bonus episode comment to our, our regular listeners today. And that is this, this, this notion of monkeys and flamethrowers. And what are the, what's the relationship of monkeys and flamethrowers to strategy? And I just really like this analogy and the, the it goes something like this. So if you wanted to teach a bunch of monkeys to juggle flamethrowers on a platform, what would you look at first? How to build the platform or how to teach the monkeys to juggle the flamethrowers? And the answer is clearly that you should teach the monkeys how to juggle the flamethrowers first, because if you can do that, building the platform is easy. Bizarrely, though, the majority of companies, I think, and maybe we're all susceptible to this, and it's not just a company thing, they build a platform first. Right. <laughs> and that, hence his, engineer, hence his engineering. Uh, now, you know, they, we go to the easiest one first. And that, that's what I really liked about that boring example from Musk. When, when it was Google who, I believe, looked at the boring issue, mm -hmm. you know, can we send high rail across continent? Um, and said no, because the, the legal easement rights would be unmanageable. I mean, we're seeing that with the railroad inside one state. Mm -hmm. Im imagine trying to blast through the entire continental United States with that. Mm -hmm. Different state laws and regulation. It would be a nightmare. Yeah. Even, yeah. even if you could get the engineering to work. So, so the, the lesson there, of course, is, is, is when you're thinking about strategy and when these strategies do present themselves, you try to discern the difference between which are the, which are the monkeys that you need to teach juggle <laughs> and what are the platforms it's that you need to build and challenge yourself to think, okay, maybe, maybe I should teach the monkeys first because if I can't teach the monkeys, it's not even worth building the platform. Exactly. And that's, a, that's such a great example. Um, so what I thought what we would do is because we've both been hearing about, you know, the, the, the accounting issue, uh, accounting uh, professions challenges today, 
oh, and you know, I just was in the uh, digital CPA um, board advisory meeting, you know, we're planning this year's conference coming up, which by the way, is going to be in the Ari at the Aria in Las Vegas. Okay, great. In, in December. So another, another shot at Nobu. Uh, Hector told me this, forget about Nobu. There's some sushi place in Miami. He says it's oh, wow. uh, much better, but I said, this is no, going to be the it, best prom ever. Rom. It, I, I, <laughs> those are fighting words, Hector. Don't, don't talk about <laughs> Nobu. Don't say give up on Nobu. No chance. Yeah, anyway, right. Uh, I ran across and I saved it because I knew we were going to do the show on December 30th, 2022 accounting today ran an article by Darren root five reason firms are struggling and what to do about it. Now I'm not going to deal with his, what to do about it. And I'm not picking on Darren. I think he actually, he's laid out the five uh, challenges that we, we constantly hear. I, I heard this on a call for a full day. <laughs> Re- number one, recruiting and maintaining enough staff. Right. You know, I never heard that 20 years ago, Ron. That was never a problem. <laughs> Number two, tax season compression. Number three, inability to identify, build, and build a proper tech stack, heightened uh-huh. cybersecurity threats. Okay. Can you know that you can quibble over that? Work overload for firm owners. Now, if this is the crux, or even just if any one of these seems to be the crux, and I think if you had to pick one it would definitely be the competition for talent, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody is complaining about that. Every, even right. firms that are doing really well are complaining about it, mm-hmm. right? And then that's why it's driving them offshore and things like that. So now you can follow accounting professor David Hawkins strategy. And I love what, yeah, I love this. He said, every business case has the same solution, increase sales, cut costs and make the <laughs> bastards work harder. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Short of doing that, short of doing that, um, you know, he, he, what I really like about Ramelt here in this book, The Crux, is he asks, how does insight happen? It springs upon us, taking us by surprise. This is very Gilderan, Gilderian, right? Right. Um, he said, an insight, and I love that word insight, feels right. It's, it's, it's truth is almost self-evident, kind of like reading the Declaration of Independence, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident. Um, and yet we are unaware of how these insights are attained. And, and I think when we, when we think about the crux of the problem facing the profession, and you think about all the ways firms are trying to get over it. Oh, well, we're going to have remote work, or we're going to have a flexible schedule, or even we're going to pay more, Right. Um, offer better benefits, more flexibility. Um, we're we're going to invest more in technology so things can be more efficient. All, all the different ways people are talking about how to deal with this, to me, doesn't get to the crux of the issue. And then I think about the DPC model and concierge model. That was my insight. I mean, it, it, I mean, I'm not saying it was. It was my insight after I learned about them. Mm-hmm. That oh, geez. This is a completely different model that actually would solve almost all five of these issues. Yeah. And and that's a strategy Mm -hmm. because it is dealing with the crux. It's also pursuing the opportunity. And Ramel also says something that I just, I I wish I would have had this for the book. This, this one sentence blows my mind. And I think it's a phenomenal contradiction a counterintuitive definition of a business model. He says, in essence, a business model explains where revenue will be earned when services are provided 
free of charge. Now, if you had to provide services free of charge, what would you price instead? That's a phenomenal question. Mm-hmm. That is a phenomenal. Now, some people have danced around that saying, oh, we should give away the tax return and the bookkeeping as a lost leader, but we did it to get the consulting work. Well, it's still a service. Mm-hmm. What if we gave all the services away? Now, what do you charge for? Transformation. Mm-hmm. It's a different and, strategy. And, and would, you, would you include in that to a certain extent, timely access to the right people? Absolutely. I think right. that's a big part of the plus. Right. The whole plus model is that convenience, that peace of mind, that sim- sim- uh, you know, surfacing simplicity, uh, all of those things that we talk about, that is part of the plusing. Um, but it, it, this just struck me what a, what a great strategy that DPCs have. That's why they don't need Greg's marketing help, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're out there, everybody's zigging and they're zagging. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we, we just have somebody, put, the guy that we had on, I forget his name. Sorry. He just posted on LinkedIn today about why don't we see more innovation in healthcare on LinkedIn? Mm-hmm. I think you went in and chimed in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's a regulated industry. It's regulated to death. How much innovation do you, we see in any regulated industry, but these DPCs have figured out a way to do it. That's what a strategy is gone outside. Yeah. And that was uh, Rafael Salazar. Yes. He was Rafael. Posting, yep. Yep. Yeah. Posting on that. I, 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 and I'm, I'm sorry to do this, but I, Ron, I just want to cycle back around to the earlier part of this segment where we were talking about, you know, this, the, the strategy and delivered from on high. And, you know, Peter Block talks a lot about this and we're very thrilled. Peter has a new book out. We have already asked him to be back on the show. So hopefully we'll have some answers to that in the next, in the coming weeks. But one of the things that he talks about and the answer to how is yes, is, you know, these how versus what matters questions. We've, we've talked about this a number of times, but the, the, the one question that's the how is, you know, how, how do we get, how do we get those people to change? How do we get them to do what we want them to do? Which in, in a way, one of the answers is what is this implementation of strategic planning as we see it in modern business today. That's, that's the answer to that question. And he, and he he points out something that I think is critically important because it, it because it's the reality of what happens after those plans are rolled out, discerned upon from on high and filtered down. The question doesn't become how are we going to implement the strategy of these people? It's how are we going to deal with what they want us to do? It's it, it, right, right. it instantaneously becomes not. Uh, uh, is about the antithesis of achieving the strategy. And it's, it's, it's just, just how do we deal with what they want? And yeah. that's where that whole, we, we become scamps. We become, all right, well, you, this is what you told me you're going to measure. Fine. Then that's what you're going to get. And you're going to get it hard right. and in spades, whether or not it does anything to drive it forward, but that's what you told me you're going to measure me on. So I'm going to put that in place. And I think that leads to the next couple of things that you want to talk about. Cause I think there's, there's a moral hazard of measurement in the, in this, uh, this book as well, isn't there? It, well, yeah. I mean, that, that always underlies everything with the, with the KPIs, but one of the, one, another way of framing that, Ed, and I know we've talked about this before because we've talked about the great book by Henry Mintzberg the rise and fall of strategic planning. Mm-hmm. 
Now he's not talking about strategy. He's right. talking he's about, talking about strategic, strategic planning. planning. And you know, just like you say, the the oracles go away, they go offsite, <laughs> they come back from the mount with their you know their tablets, and they've got their strategy, and then they blame the failure of the strategy on the underlings' failure to execute, and the and the underlings are rightfully sitting there saying, "Well, if you're so smart, why didn't you know we weren't going to, you know, do the execution right?" <laughs> why didn't you factor that in? You like, should have yeah, factored like, that. You should factor that into your strategy. <laughs> uh, I just love that. I love that. But the great example that he gives, um, and and there, actually, there's lots of great examples he gives. Um, but one of the probably one of the best ones is is the act of surrogation from uh, Robert McNamara. Secretary of Defense, yeah. you know, the Vietnam War. I mean, he, his whole thing was body count. Um, and what he didn't realize that we're for every one North Vietnamese we killed, we created three others mm-hmm. and or whatever the ratio was. And, and he even said, looking back, I clearly erred by not forcing then or later uh, a knockdown drag out debate over the over the loose assumptions, unasked questions and thin analysis underlying our military strategy in Vietnam. It's just like the Wells Fargo uh, scandal. I know we're up against it here, but um, you know they had a strategy to have closer customer relationships. <clears throat> the way that got morphed into a, a metric, a KPI, was well, we're going to create eight, eight accounts for every customer, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and that's surrogation when the metric takes over the strategy. Wells Fargo didn't have a strategy to create eight accounts for its for every customer. They had a strategy to have closer customer relationships. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the KPI overtook the strategy yeah. and that's surrogation. I'm, yeah. And I'm just going to read the last part of that quote because it, it, it's, it, it's deeply impactful to me. And McNamara admits, I doubt I will ever fully understand why I did not do so. <laughs> because he was mired in what you can measure, you can manage. Mm-hmm. That's why. That's why. That's why. Yeah. All right, Ron. Well, we're up against our next break. Want to remind you folks that you can get a hold of either one of us by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Website, of course, the soul of enterprise.com, where you can see show notes, previews to upcoming shows. We also have our Patreon page, patreon.com slash TSOE, where you can listen to the show commercial free, as well as our bonus episodes and additional bonus con- content that we put out. Uh, if you at a certain level, you can get a shout out like Blake Oliver did at Earmark CPE. Check out Blake at EarmarkCPE.com. That Patreon channel is also sponsored by 90 Minds. So if you need a mind, find one at 90minds.com. Now a word from our sponsors. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? 
Of course you haven't, because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the essentials of strategy. And in particular, we're talking about a book uh, called The Crux, How Leaders Become Strategists. That was released last year. It's by Richard Remolt. And Ed, another thing that he says in this book that I just absolutely love, he says, it always amazes me when executives taking down millions of dollars a year lack the courage of the average fireman. Stupid, arbitrary goals don't motivate achievement. They motivate cynicism and fabrication. What a great line. How many times when you propose an an innovation like DPC, subscription, concierge, you name it, value pricing, no timesheets, after action reviews, what do you get? You get a barrage of, oh, well, that won't work in my firm because, you know, and it's like, Wow. Mm-hmm. Profits come from risk and we're not willing to take any. Right. He's right. He's the, 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 the analogy of the fireman is beautiful. Yeah. Here, here's the million reasons why it won't work. And, and I can see where, but I can see where it would work in a large firm when they're a small firm. And I can see it work in a small firm when they're a large firm. And I can see it work on the East coast. If you're on the West coast, I mean, this is a litany of, of excuses for it. And, and just one more on that, because I've been talking a lot about transformations lately. Yeah. Um, when I say that services are a means to an end, like if you didn't charge for services, if they were all free, everything, mm-hmm. what would you charge for? It would be the transformation. Well, geez, that would get you the high point in Joe Pine's hierarchy of value. I mean, that's it. That's the apogee. It doesn't get better than that. And we can do it. That, I mean, that's a viable strategy. And yet it freaks people out. Because it's not scalable, Ron. I can't. I can't do. And, you know, scalability is the key. I can't. I can't say that. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to do that for sixty thousand people. A year. But trade. But trading dollars for services is scalable, and that's why the number one problem in the profession is recruiting talent. Right. Gee, no. I wonder if there's a connection there. <laughs> I, w- I wonder if they're looking at the rest of the boulder and not the crux. Hmm. Hmm. Absolutely. So, the other thing is, I love how he talked about. Steve Jobs in Apple. And he mm-hmm. said, pay attention to what Steve Jobs didn't do. <laughs> he didn't drive business success by a relentless focus on performance metrics. <laughs> I mean, he, he came back to Apple and did one income statement, right? He got mm-hmm. rid of the siloed P&Ls. He did not motivate high performance by tying incentives to key strategic success factors. <laughs> he did not have a strategy built through participation at all levels throughout the company. He did not waste time on delicate distinctions between missions, visions, goals, and strategies. He did not use acquisitions to hit his strategic growth, growth goals. 
Um, you know, and th those are all, and he did not seek to engineer higher margins by chasing Rust Belt concepts of economies of scale. That's another point he, he makes beautifully in this book is the ridiculousness of economies of scale. He, he says, if a business is bigger, won't its cost be lower? He said, yes and no. Samsung produced 295 million smartphones in 2019 compared with the runner-up Apple at 197 million. Samsung sells 150 different model phones while Apple sells three. <laughs> Samsung grabs 17% of global phone profit. Apple gets 66%. Economies of scale, who cares? Yeah. You're capturing 66% of the profits. Now, that said, I think it's also interesting that that Apple has in recent re recent couple of years, and I don't know if he mentioned this in the book, button, but they have they have reintegrated the chip business into Apple. Yes. He talks about that with relation to Henry Ford. Mm -hmm. He said that the, the reason the Model T came down in price so, so dramatically wasn't so much the automated uh, assembly plant because that only affected the labor. He said it was the vertical integration of the car. Mm -hmm. The fact that they, you know, own the tire companies and all the different things that went into the car. That's what drove the costs down and made it affordable for the average and, person. And you see Apple potentially doing that again by controlling the chip. I mean, because now their chip is, is going to be directly running their software. They can pair that stuff together. They don't have to worry about the efficiencies that are needed because Intel is going to be dropping their chips into different computers, not just Apple's. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Apple broke all the rules, but anyway, I just thought that was a great, uh, a great point um, with, with Steve jobs and what he didn't do. Well, I just, the one thing I want to pick a little bit apart, and I think it's, it, it might just be a, a, a conversation that we can expand on. Uh, to come to some understanding, but, and that is, he, he's like, you know, mission statement value. See, I, you know, I'm a mission, vision, values guy, Ron. Um, and and I, I really believe in something that we talked about, the 7S model and the, and the precedence of and the, the importance of, of shared vision. And I think he, in the in this book, or based on my impression, I didn't read the book, you did, that he's, he's uh, using the mission statement in the wrong way. It's, that's only one aspect of your shared vision, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the mission statement. And he does refer to the Microsoft mission statement on a computer on every desk and in every home. By the way, they did add uh, words and that's not quite correct because they added three words to their mission in, in 1984. Mm. Uh, and that was as a response to the great Apple commercial for the Super mm -hmm. Bowl commercial. Mm -hmm. And it was a computer on every desk and in every home running Microsoft software. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Fair enough. So they did, <clears throat> they did add that. But I, I do want to take issue with his, hey, let's, let's just, uh, mission statements are not helpful in strategy work. They're a waste of time and effort. His advice is to keep it as a motto. And, you know, I think mottos can be good. But in a way, mottos to me are, they're, they're potentially the vision statement. They're, they're the thing that you put out there that is the motivational factor. A mission is just, what are we going to do every day? Like, what, 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 what is our accomplishment every day? Why did we come to work? Whereas mm -hmm. the vision piece of it, the shared vision piece of it, is is something that's aspirational and he even mentions in here that uh the, the the one for nike which is just do it you know he says that that's their motto but you know nike had a had a a uh, a vision statement too and i refer to this as the best vision statement in the history of vision statements because it's only two words 
and it that was Crush Adidas. Hmm. So, yes, the Just Do It is fine, but it was really, but in combination with the Crush Adidas, which I think that's where your strategy, where 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 Nike's strategy was coming from, right? Crush Adidas, whatever we need to do to crush Adidas, that's what we're gonna do, you know? Right, right. Gee, Ed, I had you more of a purpose guy than a missions vision values guy. mission vision but, but there see they're all connected see i think i think pur- purpose is analog to to um to mission to some degree but i think there's there's a lot of these are the same words for a lot of for the, for the same concepts right so right. you know that, that's it, part it's of just, his point in the book he doesn't want to get hung yeah. up on these nuanced differences but and I, and i used to but i don't anymore but I, but but we've said a thousand times on this show, you know, I do think that the problem is, is that the, the mistaken belief that the purpose of a business is to, is to make a profit. Right. Right. That, that to me is a, is a big problem. Um, That's, and that's another one of those business myths that is just pernicious out there. People think, Oh, they're in a business to make a profit. No. (laughs) Yeah. No, we have to, well, wow. Do we have to kill that? I mean, that that's nearly the number one business myth from our top 10 list of all Mm -hmm. time. Business myths. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to admit, after looking at something, you know, I've been looking at mottos recently, and I, you know, I do like. I just there is no substitute Porsche, right? And I mm-hmm. was, you know, you uh, saw that Porsche commercial by, you know, Doctor Ferdinand Porsche talking about, you know, the people that that uh, know what a Porsche means are the mm-hmm. ones that design. You know, this isn't a Porsche built by a committee, right? You know, it's by people who understand the soul of what this vehicle is trying to do. And, um, mm-hmm. just, you know, obviously Apple's Think Different campaign was was brilliant. And I, and I really, really do love Blue Origins, um, you know, step by step ferociously. I just, mm-hmm. there's something about that that's just awesome. Mm-hmm. As, yeah. are, as is Rise Above Adversity, you know, the, the Red Tail you know, Airman. That's a great, great motto rise right. above adversity but yeah i you know um he, he talks about other things in here that are really interesting too this is worth pointing out uh to the accountants um in his 1997 letter to shareholders which i think was the first it was uh, yeah uh, yeah bezos famously wrote when forced to choose between optimizing the appearance appearance of our gap accounting and maximizing <laughs> the present value of future cash flows We'll take the cash flows. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, talk about talk about focusing on the crux, at least from a financial metric standpoint. That was it for Bezos. That's all he cared about was free cash flow per share. Mm-hmm. That was his metric. And he kept saying, margins, margins can't pay my electric bill. Yep. Oh. <laughs> Wow. All right, Ron. Well, we are up against our final break. Want to remind those of you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending that email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is the soul of enterprise show notes, previews to upcoming shows and all that. If you want to do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player of choice, that would be great. It would help other people find the podcast. So please go out and do that. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, we are back on The Soul of Enterprise. And like our theme song, we, uh, we have committed on The Soul of Enterprise to always read our reviews that we get, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Ron... We got an ugly one. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks, Ed. We got an ugly one. Uh, the, ti- the title of this is Obnoxiously Arrogant, and this is from CU Steve via Apple Podcasts. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, here's, the, here's the, 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 uh, the crux of it to stay with the theme of the show. I have read a few of Ron Baker's books over the past 15 years. They started out having great ideas, and I've implemented some of them, but over the years, he's become arrogant and spends more time bashing other models then providing real life improvements. Uh, then, then he says, I was listening to one show and uh, they, they spent half the time bashing the others. I remember that show, that, that, that show, Ron, it was, we were responding to some Twitter strings that were going on. He yep. said they were agner, arrogant and obnoxious. I'm not sure how people like these two guys. So there you go. <laughs> well, see you, Steve. Um, I would imagine you're an accountant or maybe a CPA or an EA or, at least a colleague. If you bought my books 15 years ago, then I got to believe you're a colleague. And look, um, if you think I was arrogant now, I mean, you should have heard me back 15 years ago. Uh, I, far as I know, I've only bashed on one model, which is the billable hour and the timesheet, you know, the, we sell business or we sell time business model. I haven't bashed on any other model that I can think of. I proposed some other models instead in uh, my recent book, which I know you bought and returned because you said there was nothing practical in it. Uh, I'd love to know what wasn't practical in it, pointing people to the DPC model, pointing people to after action reviews, pointing people to the KPIs and the accounting. It all seems pretty actionable, but uh, listen, you're a colleague. We'd love to have you on to discuss it. We put people who disagree with us in the front of the line. So Absolutely. reach out. And we'll have you on. All right. Back to strategy, though, Ron. Well, Ed, uh, it's not really strategy, but it was for him at the time. Michael O'Leary, who was the CEO of Ryanair. Oh, 
this guy is a character. He 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 really has a reputation. Yeah. He's the one that wanted to have a standing section in the airplane. Right. And and I... when when the passengers complain, but but that would probably kill us if if we crashed. And he said, I got news for you. If you were sitting down, you're probably gonna die too. <laughs> Anyway, he said, we went to look at Southwest Airlines in the U.S. It was like the road to Damascus. This was the way to make Ryanair work. I met with Herb Kelleher. I passed out about midnight and I woke up again at about 3 a.m. Kelleher was still there. The, the pain in the you-know-what, pouring himself another bourbon. I thought I'd pick his brains and come away with the Holy Grail. The next day, I couldn't remember a thing. <laughs> Just, I can see that. I can yeah. see. Didn't didn't he do a boxing match with somebody, and and the prize was a you know, his favorite bottle of bourbon or whatever. What was it, whiskey or something? Yeah, like, I forget. It was the guy from Braniff Airlines, or maybe another startup that was suing him or something. And they decided to box it out. It was a great. I just I love Herb Kelleher. To me, he was like one of the all time greatest CEOs. I, I agree that by the way that that story always reminds me or reminded me of of the, the T- Toby Keith song I'll never smoke weed with Willie again. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever <laughs> heard that. No, it's, <laughs> it's great. Toby Keith, who's a country music star, ends up smoking weed with Willie Nelson and his bus loses trot load <laughs> for three days go by. <laughs> yeah that's pretty good anyway that's awesome <laughs> um but you know one of the things and talk a little bit about this ron because th- this struck me and i think i want to spend just a, a few minutes on it he, this this guy calls into question some of clayton christensen's insights he's not the only one he yeah. does he and he gives a bunch of sites of people who have written and he was he says you know there's glaring examples of christensen's theory of disruption because the christensen's theory and it was very very narrow and i don't want to get into you know, Clayton's uh, rebuttals to the critics mm-hmm. of his theory, but it was very narrow saying that, you know, there is a way for a competitor to rise up with a low price point that's completely ignored by the, the incumbents and all of that. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the iPhone, you right. know, that blew apart rim, that, that was not cheaper than a BlackBerry, right? Mm-hmm. Or let alone Nokia's phones. I think the right. BlackBerry was more than the Nokia um, and then a couple of researchers he cites, and this is a famous study. I, I saw this in um, HBR. Um, researchers looked at 36 new technologies from 1879 through 2000 and did not find a strong pattern of low price, low performance disruption the way that Clayton lays it out in his book. Um, so, yeah, and there's been others from Harvard um, that have you know criticized his theory and his retort was, look, it, it was a very narrow application, you know? Okay. Well, I, I, yes. And I agree, but, but I want to not really challenge, but just, just ha- ha- add some, some insight into this. And let's you, let's continue to use Apple as the example. Yes. You can talk about iPhone, but iPhone was preceded at Apple by the iPod mm-hmm. and which, and the, and the iPhone, it was a continuance and, 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 and built upon the success of the iPad. I'm, I'm sorry, of the iPod. And as you and I have both talked about, the reason for the iPod success was not the fact that the, the hardware was three times the, the price of the nearest competitor, which it was. Not that it came out in October of 2001, which was a great time to be in business. No, it wasn't. <laughs> but because 
of iTunes, which was the quote free thing that you could use to manage your music on the iPod, but also allowed you to come out with the iPod, the iTunes store, which, which destroyed the business model in the music industry. So Jobs was brilliant enough to do something that to, to leverage the, the and he it, there he was doing the low price right under underneath the radar selling you a song for a dollar versus it was unbundling the, right he was unbundling it, right so he was using that and that's what built the success of the iPod and the iPhone and the which par- parlayed into it so in other words as our 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 hero Russ Roberts says it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is always complicated. And and it's even funny because he does talk about how, how uh, you know, Jobs' vision was to keep the app store closed, you know, p- build a wall around it. And people in the company disagreed and said, no, we got to open it up to developers, let them write their own app. Sure, we can approve them, put them through QC, all that. But open this up. And, mm-hmm. he, cha- and he, he lost that debate in his own company. Right. You know, right. But but he's still he'll still won one which I had to deal with today, Ron. And that is, is that I don't know if you can't you you still can't buy a book on Amazon in the Kindle app or even in in the in the Amazon app on on your 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 iOS device. You have to go. I had to exit out, go into a browser and buy it in the browser and and buy it because when you buy you can buy it right from your Kindle. Right. I mean, you no, you, no, not the app, the an actual Kindle device. Can you buy? Oh, a yes, book? yes, yes, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. OK, yep. Yeah, no, but... I know. I never buy <laughs> anything from my Kindle app. And so I always have to go out to the browser. <laughs> it's and, them, it, you, you know, know it's crazy, it, even though it recommends, you know, <laughs> it recommends. Oh, read this next, you know, yeah. and it's like, yeah. OK, if I want that, I got to go out to a browser. Yeah, um, and that's, but that's Apple that's putting the, the guardrail on that. But anyway, let's finish up sure. here. This has been a good show, but let's finish it up. Just Bring one more one more point he makes. You know, he talks about the 17 sustainable development goals. And Paul Dunn, if you're listening, please turn this off now. Because <laughs> <laughs> these are the, the goals that Paul Dunn always talks about. But he makes a really good point. He said these are admirable. They're all aspirational. Yes. You know, we're going to reduce poverty and increase education. But I mean, I forget all 17 of them, but you know, they're very aspirational. He said, but they're not coherent. Mm-hmm. He said, how do you reduce poverty without burning oil and gas, without a resurgence of nuclear power? Mm-hmm. And he, picked, he pointed out six other, you know, incoherencies between the different goal, between the 17. And you can't, and his point is you can't have incoherent goals, <laughs> you know, because then you're just fighting at cross purposes. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a really good point. It's a thought provoking book. It's too long. Mm-hmm. It's not dynamically written. Um, it's a bit of a slog to go through, but there's enough examples as, as we pointed out in here in, in this episode today that uh, I think it'll keep you interested. If you're into strategy, I think this is worth a look. All right. Well, good pod, as they say here, Ron, and good show. So uh, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, Ed, I can't believe it, but we're going to talk to Natasha Lance Rogoff. She is the author of Muppets in Moscow. She's the lady who brought the Muppets into the former Soviet Union after it imploded in the 90s. Well, it's a fascinating story, and we hope to tell it with Natasha next week. But right now, it's seen 167 hours, Ron. Sounds good.
This has been the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. Sponsored by Sage. Building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, that's noon Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Thank you.